But I think the Buddhists sum it up. They say when you see a large expanse of water, meditate upon it. Hey, you shop. Hey, you shop. Hey, you shop. Hey. What do we do? We all go and sit in water. What happens? Contemplation, reflection of our life. I get back up a touch in your mouth. Hey. Are you kidding me? ATS's new shop is live now at theswellians.com. Pulsing swells, them who knows them, seven tales, on distant reefs, on fatal shores, heroes and heroines from days of yore, they live on the fringes, pack mondo cones, orbs of mortal conequence, pulverizing bones, adventures and nightmares for young and old, these are the greatest stories, never Never told. These are the greatest stories. Never told. A different kind of matrix. The island of Bali is infinitely more complex and fraught with peril and perilous characters than most tourists ever get the chance to see. In almost three years living there, I was gifted a rare and exceedingly raw insight into this island's unique blend of politics, corruption and old school tribal justice. It's Saturday night and I'm headed to the Indonesian military barracks in Bali to meet an old Australian friend who was recently released from prison. Historically speaking, Indonesia's armed forces are among the most murderous and corrupt in the world. In the decades since the authoritarian dictator President Suharto came to power, they have been responsible for everything from politically motivated genocide to drug running, private security and the guarding, by whatever means necessary, of resource extraction by various foreign multinational corporations. The barracks lie just 15 minutes away from the seething party district of Kuta, but it is a different world. This is where the Balinese working and poverty classes live amidst cheap, sturdy, concrete minimalist houses. It is congested, hot, dirty, and totally devoid of any kind of glamour. Shortly after being released from prison, my friend had landed himself a job in the West Australian mines, basing himself out of Bali, which is much closer than Australia's east coast to the mines, from where he would fly in and fly out to the west coast of Australia. It is a lifestyle undertaken by thousands of Australians living on this island. My friend has a criminal mind and thrives in the unconventional laws of Bali. As a white person looking to set up a life here, he quickly realised the value of having friends in the military, so he went straight to the barracks and offered to teach the soldiers and their commanders how to box. That's also how he ended up in prison. After turning professional, he was sponsored by an outlaw motorcycle gang who he ended up selling drugs for before being caught by police. The soldiers loved him for it, and when it came time to negotiate a price to buy some land, they accompanied him to the negotiations 
which resulted in tens of thousands of dollars being knocked off the price. We sit with the soldiers on the linoleum floor of their dorm, surrounded by military-issue cots and machine guns, getting wasted on fermented rice wine and juice concentrate, aka Iraq. They are ecstatic to be meeting another white person. Most are not from Bali and have never spoken to one other than my friend. There are 18,000 islands spread across this vast archipelago, the vast majority of which are mired in poverty. The military, meanwhile, is seen as a very respectable and secure way of providing for your family, but it comes at a cost. Having grown up in Australia, I was made well aware of the atrocities committed by the Indonesian military in places like East Timor, West Papua, and throughout all of Indonesia during the so-called communist purge of the late 60s. It is estimated the military killed between 500,000 to 3 million left-leaning political opponents of the authoritarian right-wing dictator, President Sahado. With the help of the CIA, who feared Indonesia would fall to communism, Sahado seized power via coup in 1968. In turn, Sahado permitted various American and European multinational corporations to plunder the nation's vast natural resources. During his 30-year reign, it is estimated he embezzled between USD $15 to $35 billion, leaving the vast majority of the country to continue living in abject poverty today. Bali needs to be understood in this context. The tales of poverty and desperation you're about to hear are inextricably linked to the actions and foreign policy of our Western leaders. Tonight, the soldiers want to show off to us, so we jump motorbikes and head into Kuta. We make our way to the monolithic high-rise super club Sky Garden, where somehow the Indonesian military have been given the security contract. On the way there, just to prove a point, one of the senior officers, who's completely wasted on Iraq, pulls up next to a police officer and verbally abuses him for our entertainment. The military's run-ins with police and local mafia in Bali have been legendary. Literally, because none of it ever gets reported. All three are mixed up in the dubious trades of trafficking and protection, and their skirmishes have been done with impunity in the suburbs of Kuta and Denpasar. How the owner of Skygarden managed to give the security contract to the military is unclear, though it undoubtedly has something to do with avoiding a repeat of the 2002 terror attacks in Kuta that left 202 people dead. If you think being confronted by men in military fatigues with machine guns at the entrance to a nightclub would deter drunken idiocy, think again. The stories of violence at this club and throughout Kuda's party strip are many, and they are shocking. One story related to me involved three Australian men who ended up in a fight and lashed out at security, striking one of them. Two of the Australians managed to escape, but the third was caught and dragged into a basement where up to 11 people beat and stabbed him to death. Again, you won't find this in the papers. Preferring my own company, I parted ways of the military men and took in the madness of Kuda alone. CD doesn't begin to describe it. The streets are lined with sex workers, pickpockets and men hawking various prescription drugs like pseudoephedrine and Valium. Westerners, with faces drooping due to intoxication, stumble around the uneven streets, bouncing off cars and taxis crawling and honking their way through the neon maze. While standing outside the Bounty nightclub, I watch a drunk Englishman stumble out and mouth off at a giant Timorese security guard. As the Englishman continues on his way, the bouncer shapes up to deliver a killer blow to the back of his head, but has his arm grabbed by another guard just in time. 
the Englishman is oblivious and keeps walking on. Not long after, I watched two giant steroidal Australians in NBA basketball singlets get attacked by a mob of half a dozen Balinese. If you're white and you fight locals, this is the guaranteed result. These two giants, however, managed to bulldoze their way out of the mob and take off running down the street in pursuit of someone, probably a pickpocket. The culture clash between drunk, decadent, overwhelmingly white tourists and the subtle, smiling, passive, aggressive way of the Hindu Balinese is stark. Their belief in karma and the divine order of the universe permits tourists to play up to a certain point without retribution, but once you pass that point, the knives come out, literally. Locals don't have health insurance, so if they're injured in a fight, the entire family starves. Instead, the Balinese do all they can to avoid conflict, something you can only admire in this, the most populous Islamic nation on earth. You mightn't see it right away, especially after 10 bintangs, but the grassroots community in Kuta, and indeed the rest of Bali, is incredibly strong. This is an island that is barely one generation down the path of capitalism and tourism as a means of income, following centuries informed by their Hindu beliefs. No better subculture blends the, these traditions better than the Balinese punk scene, the beating heart of which can be found at Twice Bar, a sweaty shoebox of a venue tucked behind a tattoo studio on the iconic Jalan Poppies 2. Hosting up to 15 bands a week, many of whom are teenagers who travel from as far away as Denpasar and Tabernan to get here, the music is raw, angsty, and most of it performed without a single drop of alcohol. They don't mix messages either. There are many things about Bali. Sometimes people talk shit about Bali, sometimes they talk nice. But this is Bali. Original Bali, begins Jemmy the large tattooed singer of the band Fight Back. We don't talk any bullshit. We don't talk nice shit, no bad shit. We talk all the true things. This is Bali, he says. Jemmy and many of the island's youth see Bali as teetering on the precipice of disaster, fueled by greed and capitalism gone mad. Jemmy again. We have been trying to fight back all the capitalism. This life is not just about the money. It is synchronized between human and nature, this world and this earth. If one of them is not balanced, it's going to be disaster for us, he says. Punk is huge in Indonesia, the biggest youth movement for a mile, with flourishing scenes from here to Aceh in the archipelago's far west, where punks are arrested and locked up for having mohawks and other symbols. The movement kicked off in earnest around the late 90s when the dictator Sahado fell. Today, Balinese bands like Superman is Dead and Navicula are among the biggest in Asia. Instruments such as the gamelan, a traditional Balinese Hindu metal gong-like instrument which percussionists can thrash into a dizzying 17 melodies a second, provided a smooth transition for local musicians into the frenetic rhythms of punk and hardcore. The gory live animal sacrifices and demonic imagery of your average Hindu ceremony meanwhile trump anything Ozzy Osbourne ever did on stage. The arm wrestle between traditional Hindu values, rampant corruption and globalization should be watched with interest by us in the West. In many ways, Bali represents a sped up petri dish of unsustainable capitalism. In the 30 years since the tiny island burst into the popular consciousness, it has gone from an idyllic surfer's paradise to facing almost certain environmental demise. Scientists have predicted a terminal water shortage in the coming years with more than half the island's 400 rivers already having run dry. Those that haven't 
are clogged with the 11,000 cubic tons of waste that's left uncollected each day. Property prices, meanwhile, continue to boom, with some of the world's biggest development projects adding more pressure to the island's already fragile equatorial ecosystem. With very little in the way of waste disposal infrastructure, along with poor education, especially in the realm of environmentally sustainable living, Bali is fast developing a parallel reputation as one of the dirtiest, least hygienic tourism locations in Asia. When the wet season turns the trade winds onshore and flushes the rivers into the ocean, the island's iconic beaches become covered in thousands of tons of trash. Most of the tourists have already left by then, returning en masse during the dry season to the tune of an astounding 9.5 million people per year, more than twice the island's permanent population of 4.23 million. The overwhelming majority visit no more than a pizza slice shaped portion of the island, the point of which begins at Ubud and runs to Karamas on the east coast, Changu on the west coast and the Bukit Peninsula, Uluwaru Padang, Bingen in the south. Each region provides a different experience and often attracts its own subset of tourists. Those on the east coast tend to be more concerned with surfing the world class waves at Karamas, Sanua and Serangan. Those who visit the Bukit enjoy cocktails, tropical sunsets, idyllic white sand beaches and some of the best and most consistent waves in the world. Those in Ubud favour healthy eating, yoga retreats and a tourist-centric insight into traditional Balinese culture. Those in Kuda partake in pure anarchistic hedonism. And those on the west coast in suburbs like Semenyak and Changu cling to a lifestyle as cosmopolitan and western as you can create in a third world country. The booming nightclub circuit in particular is something few could have predicted would take hold in Bali. From its humble beginnings as documented in the seminal 1971 surf film Morning of the Earth, the island was visited by the likes of Justin Bieber, Rihanna, Snoop Dogg and the Liverpool Football Club during my last year there. The drugs are better and more plentiful than you'd think too. Cocaine and MDMA in particular come almost uncut. Indeed, Bali and the surrounding islands have been long used as a triangulation point for drug importation into the incredibly lucrative drug market of Australia. Officials can be bought cheap here, so much so that at one point ecstasy was being sold out of Korobakan prison, thanks to jailed gangsters and corrupt guards. It's helpful to understand Bali as a place where laws don't exist, at least in any western sense of the word. If you have money, you can make nearly any problem go away. Hence the abundance of mafia figures getting around freely here. Keep your eye out for the billboard with the police chief and the head of Lascar Bali, a local mafia, shaking hands. The only thing you can do if you're an expat in Bali is pay the cops, a local journalist who preferred to remain nameless told me. Even if your family got murdered, if you don't give the cops money, they are not going to investigate. That is the real truth of the Indo police force, and I know this because I have relatives who are a part of it, she said. In place of traditional Western laws exist tribal laws, and they are meted out swiftly and brutally. One of the more common stories you will hear here is of witnessing a thief get beaten to death by an angry mob in broad daylight in front of shocked tourists. Without a dependable police force, this is the most bare-bones deterrent to criminality. The waves remain as flawless and consistent as ever, well, most of them, Nikos, a relatively recent discovery, though one of the best right-handers in the archipelago when it's on, was destroyed by a pier erected by a nearby hotel development too close to the wave. 
Other than that, the only real threat is overcrowding. The Balinese have a unique way of regulating their waves and doling out localism. If you know how to smile and have fun, you will get by fine here. Balinese culture celebrates humour, expression and art more than any I've experienced in my years of constant travel and journalism. Surfing is a time for joyous self-expression and is not to be taken too seriously. But there is a caveat to that. It is very important to know your skill level and limits here. If you fall and injure a local or drop in and injure a local, you'll almost certainly end up paying for their medical bills on top of a few slaps and punches to the head from the man's friend. With no medical insurance for locals, there is little margin for error. Any injury to the household's breadwinner can put a family in a situation of desperation few Westerners can even imagine. One of the solutions to overcrowding, at least as far as wealthy Japanese businessmen go, is to pay local standover men to intimidate the other surfers in the lineup and let you catch waves. The biggest change to Bali's surf scene, however, has been the skill level of its practitioners. Beginners, often from areas not traditionally associated with surfing, like Germany, Scandinavia, Russia, Italy and the UK, have recently discovered Bali. Such people, if they are wise, book themselves into one of the many surf schools on the island one of which is known to provide extra lessons in carnality to its female customers, should that interest them. Whether they are attracted to the tanned, muscular physiques of their Balinese surf instructors, or simply want to observe the island's culture from a different angle, it is not uncommon to hear of young Balinese surf school men being paid for and spoiled by white women. Sometimes the relationships go further. Sometimes they even lead to a young Balinese surf guide marrying into the Finnish royal family. True story. The end.